Hello, this is Sarah Nimitz, singer and songwriter, and you are listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Frida Payne, who had a massive hit in 1970 with the song Band of Gold, which was co-written by the amazingly successful songwriting team of Holland, Dozier and Holland. She went on to have other hits, she appeared in several films, and she even hosted her own TV talk show. Frida has recently written a best-selling memoir entitled, naturally, Band of Gold, which has an introduction by Mary Wilson of the Supremes. We're going to talk to her about that and about her long and memorable career. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine in each episode underneath the introduction and then at the end, is called Because She Said So, from the album Play by my band Project Grand Slam. And I chose this song because I wrote it with a strong woman in mind, someone just like Frida. So Frida Payne, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here with you. So, Frida, I mean, you have gone through such a, a long and memorable career, as I said in the introduction, and you started mm -hmm. off, if I understand correctly, as a jazz singer. Am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I'm from Detroit. That's where I was, you know, born and reared. Of course, I live in California, Southern California now. Uh, but I started out singing more cabaret, Broadway, jazz songs from the time I was a teen. Okay. Now, I always ask my guests this question because this is a podcast called Follow Your Dream. When you were a little girl, did you want to be a singer? Did you want to be a musician? Not really. Not when I was a little girl, per se. Uh, I didn't realize that my, my dream manifested started to come into play manifested itself when I was let's say 13 okay that's when I saw that this is my dream this is what I think I can make it in my life I can make my a good life like this doing performing and traveling all over the world I said oh it's a, if I become a singer a professional singer Oh God, I can travel. I can travel all over the world. I can meet famous people. I can do a lot of things. And I said, this might be the road to take. Not a bad choice. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you started out singing jazz. Who were you attracted to? Who were your favorites at that time? My favorites were like number one, Ella Fitzgerald. And of course now today, uh, the last several, the last, actually the last couple of decades, I actually do perform tributes to Ella Fitzgerald, and I've also played her on the theatrical stage as Ella Fitzgerald. And um, I was attracted to, let's see, Sarah Vaughn and uh, Carmen McRae, Edie Gourmet, 
Julie London, Chris Connor, uh, Billy Holiday. She all the was greats. in there as well. All the greats. I was like, oh, wow, all these great singers, you know. And oh, Lena Horn. Lena, not so much Lena as a singer, but more as as a image because she was such a huge star when I was a little girl. Right. Okay. So you're from Detroit. You grew up in Detroit and you obviously lived through the whole era of Motown records and what, what became with Detroit in the music business. And you made a switch when you did band of gold. So tell us about that. Cause you got into a different kind of music then. Well, what happened with me when people say, when I do interviews, they always bring up the question, especially when I'm in, in Europe or in the UK, they'll say, how did you ever escape not being on Motown? Because most people automatically, when I say, oh, I'm from Detroit, that's where I was born and reared. And they know my age and all that. They'll say, how did you, how did you not get caught up with, you know, with Barry? Right. And I said, well, I did get caught up with Barry. You know, <laughs> I was Barry's first female protege when I was 14 years old. And this was before there was a Motown. We're talking now the late 50s. And uh, what happened was I was sort of like a, a, I became like a protege. I became like, a, you know, I was singing and winning talent contest from the time I was 13. And then I won talent contest on television, not only at home, you know, locally, but nationally as well. And uh, people were aware of me. And then Barry became aware of me and he wrote songs for me and uh, we recorded those songs, but there wasn't a, he didn't have a label yet. Uh, We recorded those songs and uh, then he wanted to manage me and he and my mother just couldn't come to terms about contract, about the issues of contract. And it was well known in the industry that, uh, Motown didn't want you, you couldn't really negotiate your contract. You, you have to take it or leave it. And uh, my mother at that time, me being a minor, you know, she said, well, no, not, that's not for freedom. I'm sorry. But um, we, I went on from there and uh, I, I then I did. A, there's a lot of stuff I did. Let me tell you, it's too much to talk about right now. And then when, by the time I turned 18, I decided I wanted to move to New York. I wanted to relocate to New York because I felt my chances would be better there. And they were. And so by the time I turned 19, I signed a contract with ABC Paramount Records. And I got my first agent in New York at the time, Sidney Bernstein, who was a, who became a very famous agent because uh, he was at GAC. And he was the agent who first brought the Beatles over. He booked the Beatles in the U.S., he was the agent that did that. Right. You know, you're the first person I've ever heard that called him Sidney Bernstein because everybody knows him, or at least I knew him as Sid Bernstein. And you're right. He- well, I call him Sid too, but his proper name is Sidney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sid Bernstein was your agent. You're in New right. York. You uh, did not go with Motown, which I guess, did it exist at that time or was just is still an idea in, in Barry Gordy's head at that time? It did. When I knew Barry at first, there was no Mo. He had not founded the label that we know today as Motown. So he didn't have Hitsville at that time. That, that No. Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, where we recorded the songs that he wrote for me, the Hitsville building was somebody's residence. 
it was ironically the recording studio that we recorded at was called United Sound, and it was located on the same street, West Grand Boulevard, where Hitsville is located today. As a matter of fact, it's almost in the same block. That's amazing. You know, it's always been incredible to me that that house, like you said, I mean, it was like a, a residential home that they turned into Hitsville. That they converted into a recording office and studio. I know, but where they were, were recording in that house, in the basement, as I understand it, I mean, can you? I just can't believe the sounds that came out of that basement. It was just remarkable. I know it was remarkable, and it had a lot to do with the musicians and the talent. Because what you had, you had a camaraderie of, of uh, a musicianship, and you had the talent. You had the artists right. and the songwriters and the producers. You had Holland Dozier and Holland. You had um, you know, Mickey Stevenson, you had all these people, uh, you know, Barry, Barry Gordy, you had all these people, uh, Smokey Robinson and, and the Miracles and, and Martha Rees. And of course, she wasn't, a, uh, she was an artist at that time. She was not a, a producer or a songwriter. She was an artist. And uh, you had all these wonderful talents and you had the songwriters, the songs, and the producers. And of course, Barry was the driving force behind all of it. He was a workaholic, believe me, he was a workaholic. And uh, it, there's no, it was no surprise how things started to develop. And when I saw what they were doing af after he founded Motown, and I, I wasn't a part of that, but after he founded Motown, and then I started to, to acknowledge that, I said, my God, they're having hits. And all you know this, they're doing great you know they and then they were they had their traveling you know reviews musical reviews the let's say the motor city reviews right. when they were in the uk and europe all over england and they were traveling all around and they were they were making hay they were being noticed and the thing is that it happened from the top the uh, english elite embraced them and they say the trickle down uh -huh. That's what happened there. The English elite. And then you had the, you know, the, the private discos. And that's they they fell in love with Motown. They fell literally fell in love. The English people fell in love with Motown. And that's what did it. But you got introduced to Holland Dozier and Holland. Tell me what those guys were like, because they were one of the greatest songwriting teams of all time. And as I understand it, they co-wrote Band of Gold for you. Am I right? They, they were the writers of Mo and the creators of Motown. Uh, let me tell you my history with them. Number one, you've got Eddie and Brian Holland. Brian is the younger brother to Eddie. I went to, I had classes in high school with Brian Holland. So I knew Brian already before he even, even was involved in the music industry. I knew Eddie and how I met Eddie. Eddie had been brought to my home in Detroit. When I was 14, he was brought, this was when, when Barry was interested in me and wanted to work with me and manage me and write songs for me. And um, this was when um, it all started. And Barry one, one day brought Eddie Holland to my, my home, my mother's home, mother and father's home. And he had Eddie singing in our living room for <laughs> me. Yeah, a song called Merry Go Round and then another one called Jamie. He was 17 and I was 14. 
Okay, so that's the connection there. Lamont Dozier. Lamont Dozier and I were in the same class, homeroom class, for three years straight. (laughs) So I knew Lamont very well. We were schoolmates. So that's my history. Were they musical at that time? I mean, they turned into one of the greatest songwriting teams of the 20th century. Okay. And I'm just curious about whether they were kind of, you know, in music at that time, or did they evolve into it? They evolved. Now, Brian, let me, let me get this very straight with you. Brian was not into any music that I knew of in high school. Uh, Eddie was beginning to get into it. Cause I told you that, um, uh, Eddie, had, I think Eddie started out as a singer himself. I see. And uh, Lamont, I remember this was in mid school. This was like in the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and uh, middle school at Hutchins uh, Middle School in Detroit, Michigan. And I remember we'd have sometimes it would be a talent show they would have in the auditor- school auditorium, and Lamont would sing with this uh, another roommate of mine. Uh, Ty Hunter, Tyrone Hunter. And they were like, they would sing together as a duo together. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of, 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 that was the extent of it back then. We were all like teens, like 13 years old and 14 <laughs> years old. And then what happened, Lamont went on to start working with Barry a few, a couple of two or three years later and got involved with that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And and Ty Hunter, he w- also became, he stayed in the music industry. And then he was in another group, af- a group after that called the um, the Glass House. And uh, unfortunately, we lost Ty Hunter back in the 80s. He had lung cancer and he passed away. But um, yeah, that's that's it. That's an amazing era that you were living through. And just to have all of them in your school with you, you know, it's, that's terrific. I want you to fast forward a little bit and talk about Band of Gold. That was your big, big hit. You're involved with Holland Dozier and Holland. Tell us about how that came about and, you know, what your feelings are even now about that song. Well, I have to start from the beginning. I was living, this happened when I was living in New York. We're talking in the 60s. It was 1968. And I was living in a place called Park West Village, a high rise apartment. and. Uh, I get a call one day from um, a 
a, a young woman who was also a singer as well. And um, she said, Frida, I've got somebody here in my apartment visiting. And he says that he knows you really well. I said, who is that? Brian Holland. He wants to say hi. So we got on the, he got on the phone and I, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. He said, are you busy? I said, well, just so happens I, I'm not. He said, why don't you come on over? I want to, I want to see you and talk to you. I haven't seen you in years. I said, oh, sure. I'd love to. At, by that time, Brian had become famous because Holland, Dozier and Holland, we're talking 68. They had met, wrote, wrote all these hits for the Supremes. Four tops. And I'm like, oh, God, here's my old schoolmate friend, Brian, and uh, he, he's really hit it big. Let me go over and, you know, and say hi. And so he started asking me a lot of questions. And and uh, are you recording with a label? I said, yeah, I was signed to ABC Paramount. I said, but my contract, uh, I was with them for a couple of years and my contract ran out. and They didn't pick up my option. So I don't have a label. He says, do you have a manager? I said, yeah, I did have a manager. And I did I had I had a manager for almost five years, Joe Scandori. And I said, uh, but I just got released from him. I'm not, he's not managing me anymore. And he said, Well, and uh, at that time also I had just finished uh, a run being Leslie Uggam's understudy on Broadway. And I so I was kind of like free and clear. He said, well, maybe you ought to come with us. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds like like an option. So he got <laughs> he called his brother, Eddie, and told Eddie that he was, you know, he had seen me. He was met, you know, and and that maybe it might be a good idea to bring me on into their camp, sign me up. And Eddie said uh, he had made arrangements to fly me into Detroit. And that's how that happened. And then the rest was just history. Band of Gold came along. Yeah. They presented the song to you. They presented the song to me. First of all, uh, they wanted to do an album. We did many songs on the Band of Gold album. And then I remember the day that they brought Band of Gold to me. And it was just a track, you know, just the music. And it sounded great. I said, oh, this is a really jamming track. And I said, and they said, and here are the lyrics. And it was uh, Ron Dunbar who, uh, you know, worked with me on it. It was just Ron and I together. 
And Ron said, here are the lyrics. And I'm reading the lyrics and I'm saying, all that's left is a band of gold. But that night on a honeymoon, we stayed in separate rooms. I said, what the world is this? We stayed in separate <laughs> rooms. What is this about? Well, he said, well, the girl did, uh, didn't want to have sex or the guy had a problem. About... I said, this is a stupid song. I said, this is for an adolescent. This is I'm a 28 year old woman. This is for a 16 year old. <laughs> it sounds like a little teeny bopper song, you know, that night on a honeymoon. We... <laughs> so anyway, he said, don't worry about it, Frida. Just sing it. OK. And I said, OK. And that's that's how it happened. And the rest is history. Yeah. And when we recorded it in this when I was in the studio and I mind you, I recorded other songs. I had no idea. I thought Band of Gold was just as good as the other ones. And I had no idea that Band of Gold would wind up being such a big hit or a, a sustain, a sustainable success as, as it's become. And because of that, I have to say to this day, I just accept it as a blessing because it really it changed the, uh, the whole trajectory <laughs> of my career. And I've, and it just really just brought me from here to there. Yep. No, it was a, it was a massive hit. So I'm for, I'm forever grateful for it. Yes. Yep. A, a big big hit in the United States and ba basically all over. I mean, it made your career and uh, good for you. That's the kind of success story that people like to hear. Hey everybody, my Follow Your Dream Handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. And you know, in the second half of our interview, which I want to go into now, I want to play some other of your songs because people know you from Band of Gold. It was a mm -hmm. wonderful song, but you had some other great songs as well. So We've already played Band of Gold as we were talking about it, but I want to play another song that you recorded that was a hit for you called Bring the Boys Home. It was a big hit. It got me my second gold record. And what I find interesting about that song, it's a very good song, first of all, but, you know, it was a song that had a real message to it because it was about bringing the boys home from Vietnam. 
that's what it was. And I've talked several times on this podcast with other artists about the fact that I like to write message songs myself, but so many artists these days disdain doing anything that's controversial, that might take a point of view on social issues. Back in the 60s, though, people did that regularly. I mean, you had a song like Bring the Boys Home. You had a song like Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. You had Bob Dylan writing protest songs. What's your feeling about that? How, how did you feel about that song at that time? And how, did, how has that stayed with you or not over the years? Well, when I did, first of all, when I first heard the song as a, like a demo, it brought tears to my eyes. And, and I said, oh, because they wanted to know if I liked it. You know, and I said, I love it. I said, when are we going to cut? This is well, we're going to go and cut it on you, you know. And and uh, at the time, I I wasn't even thinking about it being a politically orientated song with political implications that later on would be uh, an issue. I had no clue. But my road manager, his name was Bobby Lucas. And he was really more than just a road manager to me. He was a friend, a mentor, and he was very intuitive. And he said that I remember him saying he's right after I cut it. He said before it was released, he said, Frida, be careful. Watch out. Because at that time, Richard Nixon was our president and that was the Republicans in office. He says, you're going to get some flack from Washington, D.C about this. I said, what? He says, just wait. Two weeks later, after it was released and started getting airplay, they got uh, the record, the uh, record label Invictus received a telegram from Washington, D.C. stating that uh, my song, Bring the Boys Home, could not and will not be played in South Vietnam due to the fact that it's giving aid and comfort to the enemy. Oh my God. What a crazy, crazy thing. And I said, Oh my God, this Bobby, you your prediction came true. And uh, he was right. But the funny thing is that over the decades and the years, I don't know how many times uh, Vietnam vets have walked up to me, shook my hand and said, Frida, thank you so much for bringing the boys home. That's what got me through. Mm. Good for you. You know, it was the opposite. Good for you. That's a nice story. And it's a it's a really nice coda on that song to hear that everybody that was in Vietnam, they, they heard it anyway, or they heard it after. They heard it anyway. They did. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. Let's go on to the next song in our song fest. This is a song called Deeper and Deeper.
tell us about this. Well, Deeper and Deeper was a song I remember in the in the studio and the control booth when when I was recording doing the vocals and Eddie kept saying, "Don't sing out when you sing this. Sing it as soft, like almost whisper it, deeper and deeper." You know, and uh, that's what I remember about that. And after Band of Gold became such a big hit. Deeper and Deeper was actually the second release after Band of Gold, but it do, didn't do as well as Band of Gold. Well, it, it would be very hard to duplicate the success that you had with Band of Gold, but it was a very cool song. And also the production on it was wonderful. You know, the strings. Oh, wow. They, I mean, the strings were wonderful. They used a lot of good people, you know, on their recording sessions. Okay, so let's go to the next one. I picked one out where you sang a duet with Bobby Darren on <laughs> Ain't No Mountain High Enough. If you need me, call me, no matter how far, I'll be where you are. I love the song. I love the duet. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Well, this was 1971. And I was booked. I got booked on several different like TV, national, national uh, TV specials that were on that year. And Bobby Darren was one of them. And this was my first time. I did. I did actually did his show twice that year. And, um, I did, of course, I, I think I did. Did I do Band of Gold on that show? I probably did Band of Gold, I think. And then the second song was a duet with him. And it was Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And I've seen it recently and, and it brought back memories, kept memories kept coming back about that. And I remember how he started moving in, like we were looking at each other and singing. And, and towards the end, he kept moving in and moving in closer and closer to me till by the very, like almost to the end where our lips were touching. <laughs> and, and at that time in 71, it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that you said that because I, I was watching the video on YouTube and you're right. The two of you start off kind of staring at each other. Yeah. And you're, you're about a foot apart, let's say. And yeah. then as the music is going on, you're right. You kind of see it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer <laughs> and closer. And I'm thinking, and I, and I almost, I almost cracked up because um, it was like, he's not going to kiss me on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we take so many things for granted now, but back then that probably would have caused a stir of some sort. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It would have, it would have. <laughs> What a crazy world. Okay, I want to do one more. I didn't mention this to you, but you've got this new album uh, or very recent album, Let There Be Love. And you do a duet on this with Johnny Mathis. They can't yes. take that away from me. The way you smile just beams. 
the way you sing off key the way you heart my dreams no no they can't take that away from me we may never The way you changed my life No, no, they can't take that away from me No, they can't take that away from me This is much more of a jazzy album. So tell us about that. What was it like singing with Johnny Mathis? Oh, God, it was like just to see him walk into the Capitol Records into Studio A. That was a thrill. It was like, oh, boy, I can't believe he he showed up. <laughs> <laughs> He's here. He's really here. And um, we were at Capitol Records in, in Hollywood and in Studio A, which is a very infamous, very famous studio and a very fine recording studio with the best equipment. And uh, the song we did was a Ira George and Ira Gershwin tune. Um, they can't take that away from me. And it was with a full orchestra with strings. And that was oh, the, a thrill. It was such a thrill. And I did duets with three other artists as well. And that would have been that would be Kenny Lattimore, who is a very fine artist. And uh, I did a duet with D.D. Bridgewater, who's also a noted jazz singer and a multiple Grammy and Tony Award winner as well in her own right. Uh, And then Kurt Elling, who is like, whoa, he is like, really, he's he's a multiple Grammy Award winner for male jazz vocalist. Yeah. And then I did a a song, you know, song myself by myself. Uh, It's all right with me. So it's out there. It's called Let There Be Love. Let There Be Love. And uh, that's the song that I did with Kenny Lattimore. But the Johnny Mathis one is a wonderful, wonderful duet. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your memoir. Okay. Band of Gold. Tell us how that came about. When did you write it? And uh, what's been happening with it? Okay. Well, it for the last 25 years, people had kept bugging me. When are you going to write your, your book? When are you going to write your book, your memoirs? And I kind of let it go. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm just, I don't want to get into it, you know? So I started noticing that a lot of my peers have started, were writing books and I'm saying, well, gee, everybody's writing a book. I guess (laughs) I better hurry up and do mine before I can't remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) So I got my friend, Mark Bego who was very close with Mary Wilson and also also had done projects with Mary as well. To, Mark has uh, been on this podcast, by the way. Yes. Mark Beagle. Uh-huh. And I said, Mark, would you be interested in writing a book with, you know, co-authoring a book with me about my memoirs, my bio- biography? He said, Oh, sure. Why not? So this started and we started in 2019, uh, like the fall. 
And then by 2020 in March, pandemic. And so that gave us all of 2020 to concentrate on writing this book and almost half of 2021. And we finally finished it. And um, that's how it all developed. That's how it all came to be. And you've got everything in there, I'm sure. Well, there's some things I left out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we won't go into that. Tell us what's next for Frida Payne. Well, what's next is I'm going to continue to perform. Uh, I've got my Ella project as well. I would like to work on that in terms of getting a movie made, doing the life of Ella Fitzgerald, and uh, maybe take it to Broadway as well. Fantastic. We have been talking with Frida Payne, who is famous from her song Band of Gold, but she's done so much more than that. Frida, it's been an absolute delight to be talking with you. And we're going to listen now to the song that we started out hearing in the introduction. We're going to hear it now at at this point in the program. It's my song called Because She Said So. And I want to thank you all for listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.